The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hey, this is Jeremiah from Remnant Church. We want you to be encouraged and filled with hope through your experience as you listen in. This life can be complicated, even confusing, but it's our hope that you catch a glimpse of God's unconditional love for you and His purpose for your life. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jeremiah Vick. So we are in John chapter 15 today. So if you've been kind of reading ahead a little bit, then you, you know what's, what's coming up. But I thought maybe it would be good if we just recapped a little bit about what's going on so that you have an idea. Um, and that way you kind of know, you know where we're at in the, in the narrative. And so, as you know, Jesus had been uh, making quite a name for himself by performing miracles and doing all these uh, one of the things that has probably caused Jesus' reputation to, to spread the most is the things that he was saying. Um, because he would perform a miracle and then that would just substantiate all the claims that he was making. Which is why uh, the religious leaders were getting pretty ticked off. I mean, they didn't want Jesus proving to the people around him that he really was the Messiah. And so uh, they were upset that 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 was the message he was preaching and that he not only was saying those words, but that he had the actions to back it up. And so, um, as you can imagine, things were, were just getting more and more intense. Um, so, when we talked about Palm Sunday, which was the triumphal entry where Jesus came into Jerusalem, that, that's where he's been the last couple of weeks that we've met together. So, he came into the, to Jerusalem, and so um, the last three chapters that we've talked about have, have all happened within that same week, okay, the week leading up to, to Jesus' crucifixion. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a time frame of where we're at. So last week, um, Jerry was talking about how Jesus proclaimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And that conversation was still happening in the upper room. You know, the place where they had the supper. Remember the place where Jesus washed the disciples' feet? And so a lot of conversation happens in that room. As a matter of fact, there's three or four chapters that are all just this conversation that Jesus is having with his followers. And so that's exactly what's happening in John chapter 15. But if you were reading to the end of the chapter of chapter 14, you'll notice that the last verse in that chapter, Jesus says, hey guys, let's go. He doesn't say it exactly like that, but you get the idea. He basically was like, okay, we're finished with dinner we're finished with the illustrations that I wanted to, to, to share with you here in this room. And he said, now let's, let's get up and go. But, but the, the Bible doesn't say that they actually got up and left the room. But if you read in some of the other Gospels, you discover that after Jesus had that discussion with them, that he said, let's go. And they left the upper room, which was in Jerusalem, somewhere downtown. And they headed to a place called the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives, the reason that's significant for us is because that is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And as you know, in that garden, Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested. Okay, so, so this is literally that moment where Jesus is walking with his disciples to that place where he's going to be arrested. And he's having a conversation with them as, as he walks along. And so the place that he's passing through is called the Kidron Valley. 
And so as he makes his way through the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, they, they are passing a lot of grape vineyards, okay? So this is uh, a pretty huge export in this area. And so there are tons of vineyards, tons of grapevines all around them. And I would imagine that as Jesus is walking through these vineyards and he's walking along by these grapevines, he's probably having this conversation with his disciples as he walks, okay? That's, that's what some scholars believe in, and I think that's probably a good thought for us to have because everything he talks about at this moment relates to the vineyard and how it's cared for and, uh, and, and how it produces fruit, all that good stuff. So, this is where we're at as we begin John chapter 15. Once again, the title of my message is Remain in Me, and uh, you guys can obviously follow on social media, all that good stuff. So let's start reading with verse 1 of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. I'm going to pause right there for one second, because Jesus says, I am the true grapevine. So you might be asking yourself, why, you know, are the disciples really, you know, they, sometimes they don't really get it, right? And so do they really need him to say, I am the true grapevine, so they don't get him confused with the plants that are, are next to them? Um, I don't think so. I think the reason Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, is because on the temple uh, on the temple door was the image of a grapevine, which represented the people of Israel. And so that was a pretty familiar imagery for these people. And so when they see a grapevine, they think, oh, that's talking about the people of Israel, like the, the lineage of the people of Israel. But what Jesus was saying was, take your mind off of that image for a moment and, and, and put your, your, focus your attention on me, on who I am, and, and who I'm going to describe myself as being. So he says, I am the true grapevine. And then he says, my father is the gardener. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. It says, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. By the way, the, the, word, the words pruned and purified are actually just one word in the Greek. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a a bit. Then he says in verse 4, he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I thought it was interesting that Jesus said, a branch can't produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, because you would think that that was kind of an obvious statement. But I think he wanted to be real clear about this, because it is possible for leaves on a branch to stay alive for a period of time when a branch is cut off. You've seen that before, right? Those of you who bring flowers home to your sweetheart. Okay, just me? Is that, okay, I'm alone in that. No, but, but you've, seen, you've seen how a branch can be cut off and it takes a little while for the greenery to die off on the branch. But there's one thing that's not going to happen when a branch is cut off. It's, it's not going to grow fruit, Okay. It may stay green for a period of time. Maybe even leaves that have started to bud might, you know, continue to bud for a little while. That's why you'll see, you know, flowers blossom even after they've been cut off. But the truth is, fruit is never going to be a product of a branch that's been cut off. And, he, and then he emphasized that by saying, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So the first thing that I want us to focus on today, yeah, he, he introduced 
he introduces God to them as the gardener, okay? So let's talk about God's process in this. So the Father's process. This is going to kind of be the first piece that we talk about. So there's, there's two things that he describes God the Father doing here in, in this process. One is cutting away the unhealthy and then pruning the healthy. Okay, so, so two actions that the Father is involved in in this, this picture. Cutting away the unhealthy, pruning the healthy. So you ask yourself, what, what exactly does that mean? Let's talk about that. So I want to bring you to Hebrews 12, verse 10, which says, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, I want this to kind of be the theme verse for you when you think about experiencing any kind of discipline or cutting away that God might do in this pruning process of your life. So you don't have to look very far. You don't have to like do some deep research in order to, to discover a few key things about how people grow grapes. Okay. As a matter of fact, I did like one Google search and there was like tons of information. Matter of fact, everybody's trying to tell you the best method for growing grapes. But there were certain things as I was kind of reading through, there were certain things that were the same throughout all of these instructions. And, and I want to share a couple of those things with you. So here's a quote from the Gardener's Secret Handbook. By the way, you put something on the internet, I think you have to change the title from secret to just the gardener's handbook, right? It's not a secret, right? But here's what it says. Because grape wood that is more than two years old will no longer produce fruit, you have to prune in such a way that you have replenishing vines growing that can replace the older ones. Now, I thought this was pretty fascinating because here's this, this idea of the father cutting away branches that are not producing fruit. And I'm like, okay, why, why would there be a branch that's connected to the vine that's not producing fruit? Well, it makes sense if you understand a little bit about growing grapes and you know that there are actually branches that, once they're two years old, they no longer produce fruit. They'll produce leaves, but they won't produce fruit. And so the gardener knows this, and he, he, he pays such good attention to his grapevines that he knows which ones need to be cut away, and that's what he does. And I think about my own life, and, and in particular, this process that God uses of, of cutting away things that don't belong in my life. See, God cuts away the unhealthy things in our lives so that he can make room for the healthy. So there are places in your life that are either unhealthy, toxic for you, or they may be areas in your life that are no longer bearing fruit. And the gardener your father who loves you and is keeping a very close attention to his grapevine, he will cut away those things that are unhealthy. Now, is this process cheerful and happy? <laughs> I think just the idea of having anything cut away. Now, by the way, um, you may have heard someone talk about this passage and they, they use this to describe people and they say people will get cut away. I don't think that's necessarily the imagery here, I don't think he's talking about salvation because he's talking about this growth and this discipleship, okay? That's kind of the subject here. And so I don't think he's talking about people just getting cut off from God. I believe he's talking about unhealthy areas of our lives that are being cut away. Does that make sense? And by the way, I mentioned that, that word for pruning um, and the word for purifying is the same word, 
And it's, it was actually used earlier in, in our series. You remember when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet? And he says, if I can't clean your feet, if I can't purify your feet, what he actually was using, that same word for prune, prune or cleanse or purify, it's all the same word, okay? When, he, when I learned that, I thought to myself, well, does that mean Jesus was also like, you know, giving him a pedicure too? I don't know. Because I think like pruning, I don't know. But, but the idea is that he's coming back to the same idea. Okay, he's coming back to the same thought, that this is a process of cleansing that has to happen in our lives. And so as we're walking along in our relationship with Jesus, there are things in our life that God identifies as unhealthy, areas of our life that need to be cut away, and this is the, the process that the Father takes us through. So look back at Hebrews uh, in verse 11. It says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, Okay. Good, that confirms what I was feeling, (laughs) right? It is painful, but afterward, afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So see what this verse is saying. It's saying that anytime God is working on your heart, anytime God is shaping your behavior, anytime he is cutting away things that don't belong in your life, it's going to be a bit of a painful process. Because we get really attached to certain things. And, and we want to have things our way. And when God says, it's time to change that, that's a little bit uncomfortable for us. And, and at times it can even be painful. And, and believe it or not, your loving Father will use painful circumstances in your life to cut away areas that are unhealthy. In fact, as I was reading along about pruning a grapevine, I came across this section that said, in most cases, proper grapevine pruning requires that you remove as much as 75% of the vegetative growth so the plant can properly develop and ripen the fruit it produces. And as you can see from that picture, well, you can't see it that clearly now, but uh, the grapevine looks pretty bare after this pruning process. So I don't know about you. I don't know about a circumstance that you might have gone through, but have you ever felt like that grapevine? Like, like things have just been cut away. And, I mean, you've just been stripped down, and you're like, man, I don't feel like there's anything left because there's been so many things in my life that have just been tearing away at me. Guys, if you're in that place, if you're in... If, you're, if you feel like you're in that process where things are just being ripped away from you, I, I want you to take heart. I want you to understand that, that even in those moments, God is at work and God is doing something. So, so though you may look like that for a moment, what does it say here? It says, there will be a harvest of right living, a peaceful harvest of right living. So there are good things on the way when you experience this pruning process, okay? The problem is, we want to experience the benefits of God's pruning without going through the pain. You know what I'm talking about? It's like we want to be beautiful grapevines with lots of leaves and lots of fruit, but we don't want to experience the painful process that it takes to get us there. We'd like to just skip right over that. I mean, have you ever actually prayed that prayer and just said, God, 
could, could I just skip over what I'm about to go through? And, you know, and we, we think that's a pretty biblical prayer, right? Because it sounds a little bit like what Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, right? He's like, God, if there's any other way. I mean, I think that that is a part of our humanity. That's just something uh, that comes from deep within us where we want to escape from whatever kind of pain and whatever is going on in our lives. And I'm not saying that all pain is good, okay? I don't want you to get me wrong. I don't want you to think that if someone is physically causing you harm or if someone is abusing you or if you're in a place where, where you're experiencing pain that you should not have to go through, I'm, I'm not talking about that, okay? I don't want you to get confused. and I don't, I don't want you to stay in a place of abuse just because you think, oh, well, God's pruning me, right? No. God's pruning you doesn't feel like someone else tuning you, right? That's, you know, understand what I'm saying? So we need to know that there are circumstances and there are struggles that we face wherein God is doing this pruning process and we need to be aware that God is working. And I'm not saying that that makes the process less painful to be aware of God's hand in it, but it does help us to know that there's a big promise that there's going to be a peaceful harvest, that when the pruning's done, when it's all been completed, that God is going to do some really good things in our lives and in our hearts. Okay, so it's, so it's a hopeful thing. It's something that we need to hold on to. But we don't want to try to skip past and blow through what God is doing in our lives. Okay, so that's the process the Father is taking us through. But let's talk about, during this entire process, there's something that's happening in us. Okay? So let's look back at our passage in John 15. We'll start reading in verse 5, where Jesus continues. He says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Again, I don't want you guys to get confused about this passage because it sounds like God is discarding people and burning them up, right? Okay, don't read too much into the analogy, into the picture here, because he's basically saying that if we're not producing fruit, then we can be compared to a branch that is useless and being discarded because we're not serving our purpose in God's kingdom, okay? Then he says in verse 7, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, You may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. Did you guys hear that? Wait a second here. I'll read that again, just make sure we got this right. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. That is a huge promise. How many of you prayed for something, and God did not keep that promise? Yeah, be, be honest. I mean, I've, I've prayed for things and, and, you know, that promise didn't seem like it kicked in. But we have to understand something about the things that we ask God for. There, there's a big, important piece to praying to God for the things that we want. And it all hinges on this idea of us remaining in him and allowing his words to remain in us. Because if we're truly in line with God, we are not going to be asking God for things that he doesn't want us to have. Does that make sense? Because we're going to be asking for things according to God's will because we're in tune with what God wants for our lives. We're beginning to see things through God's perspective 
And so we're not going to be asking God for ridiculous things that are not going to bring purpose and meaning to our lives. Okay? Now, I know that's a little bit of a scary thought because some of us might have some ambitions, right? We might have some things that we really want in this life. And maybe we've invested a lot in those things. Maybe we've, like, really poured our heart into those, to, to the effort that it takes to get to where we are and the thing that we really want. But I think it's good and I think it's healthy for us to question our motives. I think it's a good habit for us to look at what we're doing and what we're excited about, what our, where our passion lies, and ask ourselves, is this something that brings God glory? Am I pursuing something? Do I, am I asking God for something that is going to bring him honor and glory and not just satisfy myself? It's not something I'm going to expend selfishly on me. That's an important question for us to ask because that's going to tell us if our prayers really line up with the condition that's laid out here. Because my, my belief is that if you're in tune with God, if you're connected to the vine, you're going to be asking God for things that are pleasing to the gardener. Does that make sense? You're going to be asking for, for things in your life that are going to bring God honor and glory and God is not going to turn those things down. In verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Okay, there's that word again, true, right? I mean, a minute ago, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, and now he says, you are my true disciples. So it makes me wonder, can there be just like plain disciples, like not true disciples, but just like, you know, your average disciples? That's a good question because you remember back in, uh, I think it was in John 6 when it said that there was a bunch of followers of Jesus and, and then when the pressure was on, it said a lot of Jesus' disciples or followers turned away from him. You remember that story? And you're like, wait a second, if they were his disciples and they turned away from him, they're no longer his disciples. So they weren't true disciples to begin with. There was something questionable about their motives. And that's why I believe Jesus is differ- differentiating between someone who would claim to be a disciple and a true disciple. Does that make sense? I don't want to spend too much time on that. But um, then he says, this brings great glory to my father. So we've talked about the father's process. Let's talk about your connection to Jesus. Let's talk about this, this connectedness to the vine. And, and this involves two things. It involves one, remaining or abiding Abiding is not like a word we use all the time, but if you read the Bible, it comes up quite a bit, and so I think it's a word for us to to know and become familiar with. And then the second thing is producing fruit. So remaining or abiding and producing fruit. This is what Jesus is talking to them about. So the the word remain is the word meno in Greek, and it means to dwell or abide in, to maintain unbroken fellowship with. Now, my grandfather is close to being on his deathbed. They, they've, they've said he probably has about a month or so to live. And uh, I was just talking to my parents yesterday morning about that. And, and it kind of brought back some memories, um, some pretty important memories of spending time with my grandparents. Uh, whenever my wife and I would go over to visit, they they would always, it's almost like from the moment we get there, like we were so engaged in conversation with them and just enjoying their company 
that I think they thought we were there to like stay for a week. I mean, that was always like, you know, they just naturally assumed that we had bags packed in the car and that we were ready to stay, right? And, and, and they were always so surprised when it got late and it came time for us to leave. And we were like, Grandma, Grandpa, it's been so great. We got to go. And they're like, you're leaving? Like, like, it was, like we were hurting them because we were leaving. And we're like, yeah, you know, we didn't, we didn't pack anything and we weren't planning on staying. And they're like, well, we have everything you need here. And then it starts, right? Like, you start feeling bad. Oh, man, Grandma, I really want to stay, but I have a job to go to, you know. It's like, you have to explain, like, there's things going on in my life. And, and, and I think about all those moments that I said, we've got to go. And, and there were a couple times where we probably could have stayed. And you start to ask yourself, when, when it gets close to losing a loved one, you begin to ask yourself, was it more important for me to not abide? Or was it more important for me to get on with my life to do other things? I think there are moments, and I'm not saying, I don't want you to feel guilty about not spending time with your grandparents, but please spend more time with them, right? Because <laughs> you don't know how long you have them. But we are always in such a hurry to rush on. We're always in such a hurry to move on to the next thing. And this idea of abiding or remaining in Jesus, it's, it's a staying in one place kind of thing. It's, it's, a, it's a lingering thing. God is, is asking us, Jesus is asking us, would you remain with me? Would you stick around with me? Because the truth is, you can remain in Jesus, you can remain with him and still live your life. You don't lose anything. In fact, if there's anything that the world has to offer you that's better than remaining in Jesus, I want to know about it. Because I'm convinced it doesn't exist. There's nothing greater than remaining and abiding in Jesus. And maybe you're like me, and when you first heard this idea of abiding and remaining, you thought to yourself, that sounds super spiritual, right? It's like, I, I want to be connected to Jesus, but I don't really know if I have what it takes to be like abiding with him, like remaining with him. Like that sounds like, that sounds like next level kind of thing, right? But I want you guys to know, abiding in Christ it's not some special level of the Christian experience. It's the only position for a true believer. It's not like something we strive for. It's not like we're like, someday I'm going to be abiding with Christ. No, it's like a standard for being a follower of Jesus. It's something he's calling every single one of us to right at this moment, to a closer walk with him, to remaining in him to a strong, intimate, close connection with him. That's something he's constantly inviting us into. And there's kind of a sense of urgency. I, I, I look at this, um, this passage where um, David writes in, in Psalm 63, verse 1. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. He sounds pretty desperate to be with Jesus. He sounds pretty desperate to have a connection with God. And my friends, if, if, that, if that is the way we felt about God, like if that was our attitude 
towards wanting to be with God? Like if we thought of it in terms of, and it wouldn't be a big stretch for us to think about being in the desert, right? But I mean, if we think of it as being in a deserted place with no water, and all we can think about is just getting something to drink, then we'll have a good understanding of what it means for us to desire to remain in Jesus. There has to be a sense of urgency. There has to be, I mean, it's almost like survival mode, right? We, we, in order for us to survive, we have to be connected to the vine. So it's not just a suggestion. It's not just an accessory to your Christian life. It's not like, you know, the special level that you rise up to and now you're there. No, it's something that God wants for every single one of us as followers of him. Super important for us to realize that. J.C. Ryle says, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and our strength, as our chief companion and best friend. Guys, this, is, this sounds like something you have to be all in in order to experience And that's exactly what it is. And I think that Jesus confirms that because look what he says in verse 5 in our passage. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. How how vitally important is it that you're connected to Jesus? Well, he makes it pretty obvious because he says, if you're not connected to me, you can't do anything. You, You have no ability to do anything for God's kingdom if you're not connected to him. That's what he's saying. We cannot bring glory to God unless we are in close fellowship with Jesus. It is impossible. Don't even try it. You're just going to be going through the motions. And I've known people like that. I've known people that spent the majority of their lives in church. And it didn't mean a thing. They were just going through the motions. Because if you're not connected to the vine, you can't make any contribution to the kingdom. And then verse 7, he, he kind of tells you how you can be connected to the vine, how you can remain in me. What's this abiding thing all about? He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Guys, here, here it is. This is how we abide in Christ. This is how we remain in Jesus. It's through God's word. If you are spending time in God's word, you're staying connected to the vine. You're staying connected to Jesus. If you're not spending time in God's word, guess what? You are not abiding in Christ. You are not connected to Jesus. Being immersed in God's word is the key to living a life that bears fruit. We've been talking a lot about this pruning process, right? I mean, there's a reason that this process is taking place. There's a reason that there needs to be a strong connection to the vine. It's because God wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to produce results, evidence that we have been staying close to Jesus. And that can't happen if we're not connected to him. And it can't happen if we're not strongly connected to God's word. If, if God's word is not a place that you're visiting on a regular basis. If God's word is not like a familiar place to you. You know how there's places in your, in your home that you always go? As a matter of fact, you could probably walk in your house and look at the carpet in the house 
and where the carpet's most worn, you know, you're like, okay, those are the rooms, those are the places that we go, right? Cleaning closet, not so much, right? Not really worn right there. Bathroom, pretty worn in that area. Bedroom, right? I mean, there are certain places that we go that we're comfortable with, that we're familiar with, and this is what our relationship with Jesus needs to be like. This is the kind of connectedness that God wants from us, that we're entering into a familiar place. It's a place we've been before. It's a place we've spent a lot of time. And if you're not spending, I can't say enough about this, guys, about spending time in God's word, because this is key. This is key. You ever ask yourself, what, you know, why am I not bearing fruit? Like, why, 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 am, why is God not using me to do cool stuff? And maybe the answer to your question is, you're not spending time with his word. Because if you're spending time with his word, you're connected to the vine. That's, that is your connection. Look what it says in 1 John 2, 5, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know that we are living in him. How are you going to obey God's word if you don't know what God's word says? I have people come to me all the time and they'll ask me questions like, hey, is this in the Bible? And I'm like, Maybe, but you could check for yourself, right? I mean, that's my first thought. But, but for some reason, I don't know if it's just because, you know, the, the pastor title. And, you know, like Jerry said, we're not real heavy on, you know, we don't make you guys call us Pastor Jerry, Pastor Jerry. Right? I mean, the thing is, it's not like we have, like, some elevated connection to Jesus. It's not like God's given us special access to secrets in his, in his word, Right? It's like, we got the truth, we got the keys, and we're only going to give you a little bit at a time, right? That's not, that's not the way it works. Like, this is for all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a part of this vineyard, then you have as much access to God's word as any one of us. Now, I'm not saying don't come to me, and I'm going to be like, oh, I'm not going to ask Jeremiah anything. He's going to make me feel bad. No, please ask questions. I love when people ask questions and they're really wanting to grow in their faith, but my point is this, that I would love to know that you're looking in God's word as well. Does that sound right? Okay. Um, Where are we at? Okay, let's jump back to our passage. We talked about the Father's process. We talked about our connection to Jesus. Now, starting with verse 9 in John 15, Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. So this last piece that we want to talk about is God's love in you. So we talked about this process the Father takes us through, our connection to Jesus. Let's talk about God's love in us and what that means and how that works. So there's two things that we need to know about this that Jesus mentions here. The first is obedience. Obedience. And the second is joy. These are very much a part of what it means to have God's love in us. Look what it says in uh, verse 10. When you obey my commandments... You remain in my love, okay? Here it is, guys. This is the number one evidence that you are 
remaining in God's love, that God's love is in you if you're doing what God says. Your love for God is displayed in your obedience toward him. Is there other ways to display your love for God? You might think so, but there are a lot of ways to put on a show, right? There are a lot of ways to to let other people know, oh yeah, I love God. You might want to raise your hands during worship. Nothing wrong with that, right? Unless you're doing it to show other people that you love God. Then, you know, maybe don't do it because it's about you and God. Um, you, may, you may go out and do something kind for somebody and you say to yourself, well, if I do something kind, then I'm loving that person, right? And, and maybe sometimes that's driven by a different motive. But if the reason you're being kind to someone is because you want to show them God's love, then certainly that's evidence that God's love is working in you. But understand, every time you do something that shows God's love is working in you, you're responding in obedience to God's word. Does that make sense? You're doing the things that you know God wants you to do because of his love for you. So obedience, it's a big sign that God's love is in us. I like what William Barclay says. He says, we are sent out into the world to love one another. Sometimes we live as if we are sent into the world to compete with one another. Isn't it true? Matter of fact, sometimes in trying to show love to someone else, we just end up trying to compete with them instead. Our motives have to be truly reflecting God's love. Let's look at verse 11. It says, You will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And I love this, this expression. You know, this is not a new expression for us, right? I mean, it seems like we've talked about this quite a bit the last few years where God's joy overflows. And we've used the, the, the analogy that, you know, when, when God's love overflows in you, it's going to spill on someone else, right? Have you ever gone into, like, a convenience store, like 7-Eleven or something, and you, you go to get, like, a coffee or a drink from a machine, and it, and it tells you, like, a hot chocolate usually is the machine that does this. It'll say, you know, press the button until the cup is two-thirds full, and then, and then release, right? And then you're like, okay. There's way too much science involved here, but okay. So you put your cup there and you hold it and you're like, uh, I'm about halfway, halfway, I don't know. And then finally you're like, oh, I think I'm at three, a third. No, no, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at three quarters. And anyway, I don't know about you, but that's really hard for me to get that just right. And I'm always worried, I'm always worried that that thing is just going to spill over. And then the person next to me who's like waiting to get some hot chocolate, they're going to be like, you idiot. The instructions are right there, right? <laughs> it's like, it says hold the button until it's two-thirds, right? But here's the thing that we need to understand about God. We, we, don't, we do not have to worry about the pouring. We don't have to worry about God's joy. It, it is on its way. It's coming, okay? And we don't have to worry about taking our finger off the button. <laughs> we don't have to worry about the overflow. We want that. We want God's joy to overflow in us. If God's joy is not overflowing in you, other people can't see it. Other people don't know that it exists if it's not overflowing. But understand this. Joy is a byproduct 
of allowing God's love to flow through your life. So joy is like a gift from God when we use God's love properly. When we're allowing ourselves to be the conduit that God's love flows through, the result is joy. And not just a little bit of joy, an overflowing of joy. My friends, I don't know about you, but I could use a little more joy in my life. Could you use some more joy? Could you, I mean, do you want to just stop at a third of a cup? Do you, do you want to stop at two-thirds? I mean, not me. I want, I want God's joy to overflow in my life. And I don't care who it spills onto. I just want to have it. Ephesians 3.19 says, To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Guys, this is it. This is the key to being filled with the fullness of God, to having that joy overflowing. And that is allowing God's love to flow through you. Allowing yourself to become a vehicle for distributing God's love into the lives of other people. We have to do that. It's, it's not enough for us to just spend time in God's word and develop a connection with God. There has to be an outlet, okay? It's, it's like we're not going to just soak it all up and keep it to ourselves. There has to be an outlet. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says. Some think it is quite sufficient if they avoid what Jesus forbids. Abstinence from evil is a great part of righteousness, but it is not enough for friendship. Does that make sense? So while it is good for us to pay close attention to God's word and avoid the things that God doesn't want us to do, that doesn't do much for loving our neighbors. That doesn't do much for being this avenue of God's love for allowing God's love to flow through us. It's incomplete. If your relationship with God is just vertical and there's no horizontal at all, there's something wrong. Okay? If it's just between you and God and that's all you got going on, I mean, you could go live in a cabin somewhere in the woods, right? And have this kind of connection with God. But if you're going to bear fruit, if you're going to live life the way God wants you to live, if you want to be a true disciple a follower of him, you're, you're going to be giving God's love to everyone. You're going to be allowing God to use you to touch the lives of others. So guys, I encourage you, as Jesus walked with his disciples through this vineyard and maybe they didn't understand everything he was saying, don't, don't miss it. God has this amazing process that he's taking every single one of us through where he's pruning us, he's... He's making us bear fruit, cutting away the things that that don't belong. He's urging us to be connected to Jesus, to remain in him so that we can have a source of life, a source of, of bounty. God wants us to be firmly connected to him. And then he wants his love to flow through us to others. That's what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of his. And if the disciples didn't get it because, you know, they're like us, right? I mean, it's like we, we get a second chance, right? 
So they might not have got everything Jesus was saying, but we've got the book that, that like backs up everything, right? So we've, we've got it all here. We know it's perfectly clear to us the direction that God wants us to go. So again, we, you know, we come to God's word, he exposes truth to us, and then we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to respond to what God's given us today? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, as we, we clearly hear from you through this passage, we see the process that, that you're taking us through because you love us so much. God, I pray that we wouldn't resist. That we would allow you to cut away the unhealthy things in our life that doesn't belong so that the new, healthy, good stuff can grow there. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would remain in Christ. We would abide in Jesus in such a way that we, there's a desperate thirsting for his presence. God, would you do that in us? And Father, allow your love to flow through us. God, do what you have to do in our hearts. Reshape our hearts however you need to in order for us to be the kind of people that can deliver your love to those around us. That's what you're asking of us. So maybe you're here today and you'd say to yourself, you know, and there's a, there's a lot of things that maybe I didn't see before. It's never too late. It's never too late for, for us to get back on track with God. It's never too late for us to respond to what he's calling us to do. So I, I invite you today, once again, come to that, that place of decision and choose Jesus. Choose his way. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for loving us so much that even in painful moments, we still know that you're at work and we can look forward to that harvest, to all those good things you want to do in our heart and in our lives. I pray for each one of us, God, we would truly be your disciples. Thank you, Father. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us at remnantchurchonline.com. You thought of us before.